calls us away from the American dream. And uh, some of you may not know this, but virtually every story that I've told you guys over the last 10 years, Dean Plumley basically has been a co-conspirator in all those things. Dean and I had a lot of great friend, a lot of years serving together. It's good to see you this morning, Dean. And I highly encourage you um, to work your way over there and talk to Dean and allow him to be a catalyst in your life the way he has been in not just mine, but many people's lives. Well, what we want today is clarity. That's what we want. We gather here together, and, and that's a great thing to do, and, and oh, I look forward to it. And it's good to sing songs and, and to praise our God and to worship him. But another reason we gather here is for clarity. Because the world around us is trying to conform us to an image, and Jesus is trying to conform us to an image. The difference is if you're in Christ, Jesus has promised that he will, that he will mold you. He will make you like him. What a process that is. And listen, that's individually, but that's also even for us as a church. And so I want to share with you again, I've shared some of this over the last couple of weeks, um, just some clarity that's been coming for us as a body of believers. You know, it's been 10 years that we've been meeting here at Spring Mills Middle School. We have a baptism today. We'd planned on doing this last week outside, and then we planned on doing it this week outside, and it just keeps raining and raining and raining, so we had to move it indoors. This is not the first time we've done a baptism in this cafeteria. We did it the first couple months of our history here at Spring Mills Middle School in 2008. Remember we lifted that thing up and the floor was all weird. Oh man, that was scary, yeah. So for the last 10 years, every three months, one of us goes down to the Berkeley County Board of Education and asks for permission to meet here at this school again. Every time we know, every time we know that they can say no. They can, they can say it's ended. So every time we've gone, and for 10 years, God has taken care of us. Well, recently, we've got some different news, and it's what I want to share with you today and have been sharing over the last couple of weeks. It's become very clear to us that God is calling us away geographically from Spring Mills Middle School. Four things I want to share with you, and this is a repeat. We've been here the last couple of weeks. Four things I want to share with you that, that are happening. Um, first of all, you need to know that I just hit the wrong slide. Um, first of all, that it is becoming clear to us that our time here on this property is coming to an end. And it's been made clear to us that, that really we need, to, we need to find a different location for us within the next year. So pray with us. Many of you are, and wow, I really appreciate the many people who have come to me and said, hey, I'm praying for you guys, Pastor Lowell. Have you, have you seen this possibility? Have you seen that possibility? We're praying for an interim facility that we can move into for three to five years. So you pray with us that God would lead the way. We have property right here next door, 21 acres, but it's become also very clear to us that we do not feel led of the Lord to place our church underneath the financial burden that that would, that would bring to us if we built on that property right now. So we're, we really have decided as a leadership that we need to delay that. Need to delay that. 
And instead, we're seeking an interim facility. So here's what that clearly means. Folks, our time here is limited. Our time in this unique situation that other pastors have said to me for 10 years, wow, what an opportunity you have. That opportunity is coming to an end. And so we want to make the most of this opportunity. So on December 2nd, what we're going to do, as you look around, you can see there's not many seats here for people to sit down. So what we want to do on December 2nd, we're going to launch a second service in the morning. We have two on Sunday morning, focus group in the middle. And I want to challenge you to begin praying and thinking about how you can invest in what God wants to do for this last six or seven or eight months that we're going to have here at Spring Mills Middle School. Now, one of our pastors, Tim Anglis, said, our relationship with Spring Mills is not geographical, it's relational. So don't think this doesn't mean that we aren't going to still point this community, this school, these students, this faculty to Jesus Christ and his word. We're just going to do it differently. That's just the way it is with following Jesus. So I'm going to tell you something. I've been chasing after Jesus for a long time with a lot of you right alongside me. And again and again and again, I realize I never know what he's going to do with my life. I never really know. He's calling the shots. And that releases me. It releases me. His burden is light. His burden is light. And so whether it's the burden of our church, or the burden of your marriage or your family or your, or your employment, or your eternal relationship with God, listen, hand it over to Jesus. Hand it over to him. How it's going to work, I already put this up earlier, but how it's going to work, we have a service, and we have a focus group, don't we have a service? Um, I do want to mention that on October 7th, we're going to start doing something we're going to call First Focus. And what will happen is, on, on the first um, Sunday of, of every single month, we want to have a combined time for our whole church to come together. So this will be just once a month, and during this time, we want to do a couple things. We want to talk about where we're headed as a, as a ministry, and w- what the vision is, and, and where we're directed, because people have a lot of questions, and there's, there's a lot of things that we're wrestling through. We want to have that opportunity to share that with you. We want to to emphasize our church body during that time. On that first Sunday of every month, we're going to have either a communion or a baptism. So it would be a great time for our church to come together as a family. And, first time I've unleashed this term on you. Once in a while, we're going to have a Little Mac. Now, what would that be? Okay, So we have a Big Mac, a big meal after church. I wonder what a Little Mac is. Stay tuned. Now, I want to challenge some of you, all of you to invest in what God is doing in in all areas of your life. But I want to talk about, just right now, this select time that you are a part of Centerpoint Bible Church here. I want to call you to invest with us. We want to raise up a team of people who will say, I am going to to invest in what God is doing and make this multiple service approach work. I I, I want to come here. I'm going to, I'll worship, I'll serve, and I'll focus on Sunday morning. To the end of the school year, to the end of the school year, I will invest in that way. And I want to encourage you to to join with us. So I have over on the table, I've got a piece of paper. Um, It looks something like this, except for not like that. Um, I had one. Oh, here it is. 
looks like this, okay? Pick up one of these, fill this out, let us know where you would feel best sort of equipped and, and impassioned to serve. And fill this out for us and hand this to one of the pastors and we're gonna gather all this up together by October 7th and put together some teams of people who are gonna make this multiple service approach work. It's gonna require us all to work together. We're gonna, we're gonna need to work together. But honestly, what can be more important? What can be more important than having the opportunity to use this time now, this goes on in all of your life. Don't misunderstand me. But this is the one time that we come together, we link arms, and we serve together here to point this community, this school, to Jesus Christ and his word. I'll say this. I remember 10 years ago. We're kind of, this is kind of our anniversary month, thanks to the rainstorms. Um, I remember 11 years ago, Pastor Billy and myself stood right outside on, on the covered porch area here of Spring Mills Middle School. We stood out here with an employee of the school system. None of these houses were here. This was all fields. There was no Spring Mills High School. There was no Potomac or Spring Mills Elementary. There were, there were no, no townhouses over here. None of this. And we stood right out there. And the administrator said to us, you know, they say there's going to be thousands of homes all over this field. As he waved his hand over the, just the, the, the vast area around us, just fields. And he said, makes a lot of sense to me. They have a church right here in the middle of it. Yes, you can use this school. 10 years, 10 years. And we've had the opportunity to point people to Jesus. Students, faculty, you, in this community, in this world. So let's keep pointing to Jesus Christ in his word. There's nothing more important we can do. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the fact that you opened up our eyes to you. Lord, we were all blind, desperate poor in spirit, Lord. We had nothing to offer. Blinded by Satan, trapped by this world. And Lord, you chose in your grace to open our eyes up to you. Lord, will you do it again? Will you open up our heart to you right now? As we open up your word, as we, as we read your word, as we look at Jesus, and look at his impact on this world. I pray, Lord, that you would soften us now and that your spirit would speak to us. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We are working through a study of the gospel of Matthew. We just started this recently and we're gonna work together on this for some time. And, and I love, I tell you, I love the gospel of Matthew. You probably get tired of me saying how much I love passage of scripture, but, but here's what I love about Matthew. Matthew, if you page through the gospel of Matthew, much of it is read if you have one of those types of Bibles because much of it are the, represents the words of Jesus. Matthew recorded for us many of the things that Jesus said. We're going to hear him open up, open up his heart to, to the crowds of people there on the Sermon on the Mount. 
We're going to see him share intimate things with his disciples in the upper room. We're going to see him go to the cross. We're going to see him call his followers to go and make disciples. It's, it's a tremendous section of scripture. It truly is. And I look forward to studying it. And one of the things that, that we're going to see over and over and over is that Jesus has this tendency. He's got this thing that, that, that can be annoying sometimes. And that is, he interrupts us. He interrupts us. We got a plan. We got a direction. We got something we want to do. And all of a sudden, the Lord Jesus steps in the way. Now, I don't know about you, but I do not like to be interrupted. Just, just keep that in mind. I, I just, because, you know, like you, I think my words are very important, right? We all think that. So who's, who are you to interrupt me? That's how we kind of operate, right? Now, I'm being a little facetious, but really, that's where we are. See, we want to be the king of our lives. We want to be the ruler of our day, of our moment, of our calendar, of the language that's going all around us. But Jesus is the king. And so he interrupts. You know, when our kids were little, we had a thing called the interrupt rule. How many of you know this? You know the interrupt rule. Oh, okay, let me, let me teach you this, okay? We would teach our little children, okay, when they were just tiny, because, you know, they walk up and they, they, you know, mommy, and they start talking to you or daddy or whatever, you know, they, and they interrupt whatever's going on. Or, you know, they come on, they grab hold of your shirt and they pull on you, mommy, 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 mommy. I'm going to count to five. I'm going to count to 10. I'm going to count to 37. You know, you try all these things to stop. And so what we finally, somebody told us to do, and it really worked great. You should try it with your teenager, um, is we would teach them to come up and lay their hand on your arm. Just come, just put their hand on your arm. And that means I have something that I want to say when, when you allow me to interrupt. And so what Nancy, usually was Nancy was doing it, they, they would come up and put her hand, put their hand on, on Nancy and she would pat their little hand and say, okay. And then she could finish the conversation and then turn to them and, and interact. Jesus doesn't do the interrupt rule. You know, he doesn't come and say, hey, may I, may I talk to you? Doesn't happen that way. He wakes us up. Go with me to Matthew chapter three and let's see Jesus doing the thing that he does when he invades someone's life, when he arrives on the scene and things change because Jesus is there because he comes to, to not allow us to in the words of Dean, just live out the American dream. He comes to wake us up and understand we were made for a life far above what the American dream can ever offer. We were made for life to the full, abundant life in Christ. Satan, the prince of the power of this world, he comes to deceive us and to kill us and to destroy us and to deceive us. Oh, and deceive he does. Matthew chapter 3, we are now seeing John the Baptist. And man, I love this guy. John the Baptist is such a great character to study. Let's read the passage. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And he said, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Matthew writes, for this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah 
when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist and his food was locusts and wild honey. Now then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him. And they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when John saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit and keep with repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. John went on, I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Now, we don't know how much time goes on after verse 12 to verse 13, but Matthew continues and says then, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. Now, John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John consented And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now we started in this passage two weeks ago. And we focused on the message of John. It was pretty simple. Very simple, really. It's in verse number two. It was repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It was a very simple message. And it wasn't unique for John. In Matthew chapter four, Jesus is going to pick this baton up and preach the same message. Later, when he calls the disciples to go and and preach, he gives them the same message. This is the message that we have for the world. That sin and its curse is destroying us. It's holding us slavery. In slavery, that is. And ends in destruction in hell. And so God calls for us to repent and turn from ourselves and from sin and turn to Jesus. We call that the kingdom of heaven, this rule of Christ. Where I am no longer the king, he is. 
And we can taste some of it now. We can feel some of this now. We'd experience his lordship in our life now. Oh, but we're still riddled with this flesh that is under this burden where we still are, are we're slanted towards sin and so we battle it. Oh, but there's coming a day, folks. There's coming a day when the Lord Jesus is gonna return again. He's gonna come, not as a lamb, but as a lion. And that moment is at hand. And we talked about that. That just means next. It's imminent. The Lord Jesus could return at any moment. And when he does, the kingdom will be established on earth. And right will be called right. And wrong will be called wrong. And we will finally experience what God intends for us. Now that message may mean a lot to you and you might actually like it. But most of the world doesn't. And so what we're going to look at today is this clash of kingdoms that's going to occur. We're going to start to, we're going to see this battle begin to unfold. Now it's not a battle between people. That's important for us to understand. This is not a battle of of one side of of humans versus another side of humans and, and they crash together and the strongest wins. That's not the battle we want to see. That's not the clash of kingdoms that we're going to look at. The clash that we're going to look at is more about my worldview. It's more about a system of thinking. It's more about God ruling or man being opposed to God. And we're going to see it here in verse number, really number seven, when we're introduced to these two groups of people that I want to talk about. Now again, these, are, these guys aren't the enemy. No human is the enemy. Oh, careful, careful. You can slip into thinking that, that some political leader or, or some person at work or a person in your home is the enemy. The enemy is not another human. The enemy of God is the same enemy of man. It is the prince of the power of this world who stands opposed to God and desires to to drag us into hell to glorify ourselves and not God. But the future is sure. God's going to win. But let's see these two sort of groups of people. And, and really what's going to happen is we're going we're to watch this group be invaded by the Lord Jesus. But when he saw, John, that this is, John the Baptist, or John the preacher, honestly, he's called John the Baptist, but he went preaching, heralding this message about Jesus, preparing the way for Jesus. When he saw the many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming, coming to the baptism, he said to them, I mean, words that are harsh. He says, you brood of vipers? calls them snakes who warned you from to flee from the wrath to come so who told you to stay away who did that he says bear fruit and keep in repentance do not presume to say to yourselves we have abraham as our father So we have these groups of people that are now going to be introduced to us, and we need to talk about them a little bit because they're going to come up all through the Gospel of Matthew. Two groups here, but we're going to bring another one in because I just want to hit it while we're here. 
the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and we could call them the Herodians, okay? So I'm a little bit of history here, all right? So bear with me. But in 167 BC, there was a civil war in Israel. The Greeks were, were sort of ruling over this area of the world and the Jewish people. And in 167, Judah Maccabees raised up a group of people who fought against the Greeks and surprise, 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 won. They were able to defeat and drive the Greeks out of Jerusalem and out of the larger part of Israel. And so now it's a miracle, and the Jews today celebrate Hanukkah as part of this. It was a miracle that the Jews were able to finally overthrow the oppressors and rule themselves. Now, what happened was two kind of groups of people rose up out of this, okay? One group called themselves Hasidic. You've heard of Hasidic Jews? That word means pious. They were called themselves the pious ones. And the others, they called themselves zealots. The zealots were like the green berets, okay? They were out in the woods and they wanted to militarily defeat any foe. It would eventually be the Romans that they would fight against. But the pious ones, the Hasidic Jews, their idea was this. We're not going to win by might. We're going to win by the word of God. And so they were staunch followers of the Old Testament. They would memorize huge passages. Maybe some, they say, would memorize the whole Old Testament. That's shocking to me, but there's reports of that. And they, they consumed God's word and saw themselves as the, the pious ones, the dedicated ones, the ones who were really, really serious about God. Now, over the next 150 years, that group became, guess who? The Pharisees. Whoa! I thought Pharisees were the bad guys. I thought they were the guys with, you know, the black hat, okay? And Lone Ranger comes in and shoots them. I, I thought they were the evil ones. Hmm. Careful. Careful. Jesus called out the Pharisees. We're going to see it in Matthew chapter 23. But he called out the hypocrisy of the Pharisees. The Pharisees, doctrinally, they, they had some really good views. They accepted the Old Testament. They believed in the resurrection. They believed in the spiritual world. Oh, but they had a problem. They had a problem. They were convinced that they could approach God for two reasons. One, they're the children of Abraham. Remember what John the Baptist said? Oh, we have Abraham as father. John says, he can raise up stones to be his children. That's the first thing. And the second thing is they believe that if they kept the law perfectly, if they could just be good, if they could just follow the works of the law, well, then God has to accept them. And that's where they went wrong. Now, the second group is called the Sadducees, okay? Now, the Pharisees, by the way, I mean, I'm going to say this. They're kind of the people's people, the common folk like them. 
They're there on the street corners. They, they, they reside in the synagogues. They teach the Bible. They, they, they are there in people's lives. But the Sadducees, you see, they're kind of the elite of the community. Where the Pharisees were in the synagogues, where there was a synagogue in every single small town. But the Sadducees were all about the temple in Jerusalem. And they were all about their method of worship. Oh, they denied the spiritual world. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe that the Old Testament was legitimate. Only the first five books. But they were all about their worship. And then the Herodians. Now, this is another small group of people. And you see in their name the word Herod. Herod was a puppet king that the Romans placed over Jerusalem and said, you rule, you keep the peace. And so the Herodians were King Herod's little like cronies, okay? And they kind of did his bidding and made sure that everything was fine. It was a very good system. I mean, it was a perfect system. King Herod, he's ruling. Sadducees taking care of the temple. Pharisees out there working the synagogue. Everything is fine. And then John the Baptist walked onto the scene. There was an invasion that happened this day, you guys. And the thing I want us to understand is that this is the manner of God. You see, we get thinking, okay, I know what's going to happen. I got my plan all laid out. I'm going to do this and this and this, and then it's just all going to work. And that's exactly what God, hey God, can you bless this? Because it's a great plan. That's not the way that God works. He comes into lives and messes with us. See in verse number seven, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they come to his baptism and he speaks out to them. But I want you to notice here, they come to watch. They're coming to watch. They've heard John the Baptist had a huge ministry all over the countryside. People are coming from all over the area to come and see this spectacle, many of them, but many of them come to be baptized. The Pharisees come and the Sadducees come to see. But look at the end of verse number six. The masses come to confess, to repent, to turn to God. So the first thing I want us to see from this passage, our second time through, okay, if you're wondering, didn't we preach this passage two weeks ago? We did. I always have too much content. That's my problem. But our second time through, I want you to see that Jesus interrupts our life. Now I want you to know something, and this this is now just kind of a personal conversation here. I plan out what I'm going to talk about on Sunday mornings like months in advance. Now, sometimes it changes, right, Matt? Matt teaches our children's area down here, kids focus, and we try to align our messages, and I feel bad when I change the passage on him, but generally, we we plan this out several months in advance. And when I planned today to talk about God interrupting us, I had no idea that three weeks ago we were gonna be interrupted as a church. I had no idea. God was preparing me and us for his interruption. So let's keep going and see how it works. There's a clash of kingdoms. My kingdom versus God's kingdom. What I want, what I've laid out, my plans 
versus God's. All right, let's keep going. Now, we need to understand that when we look at our kingdom, when, when, we, when we have our own personal kingdom, our greatest goal, when we have our little kingdom, little K, little low's kingdom, okay, where, where I'm the king and I rule, my goal is honestly to maintain the status quo. That's what I want. I want things to stay as they are. Don't mess with my kingdom. I want things to remain as they are. Status quo is the desire of little kings. The status quo. And John came in here and messed with their status quo. I mean, he kicked the door down on their status quo and said, oh, no, 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 no. Now, understand when I say John, he's a prophet of God. He's speaking on behalf of God. He'll be used to identify Jesus. But watch him kick down the door of their status quo. Verse number seven. He says, you're a brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. The first thing he attacks is their pretense. Their pretense. Now what's the word pretense mean? You see in it the word pretend. You can look at Matthew chapter 23. I don't have time to turn there. But you can see where where Jesus, this is the message that Jesus has for these religious people, for this, for this system, that God's not about how you look. God's not about if you look good or if you look holy or if you look nice. That's not what Jesus is about. Jesus is about changing the inside. I came to Christ at probably the age 15 or 16. But I'm telling you, I kept it hidden from most of the world for about six years. But oh, he haunted me. He haunted me. When I would run from him, when I would try to get away from him, he tracked me down. And that's what's happening here. He says, you got to repent. John the Baptist says to these guys trying to maintain their status quo, repent. They don't believe this. How can this be? Jesus said this about the Pharisees. You do all your deeds to be seen by others. Mm. Harsh words that Jesus had for the Pharisees in Matthew chapter 23. But John doesn't stop there. He also attacks their sort of sense or their, their source of any kind of power that they have. Look at verse number nine. John says to these Pharisees and the Sadducees, remember their system? Remember their system they're protecting? The Pharisees, follow the law, follow the law, follow the law. The Sadducees, worship, 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 worship. Status quo, maintain. Herod, the Herodians, keep the peace. John says in verse number nine, do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. What is that? What are, what are we talking about here? In Genesis chapter 12, God steps into the world. God invades the world again. And this time he comes to a man named Abram. And he says, Abram, I'm going to mess with you. I'm going to interrupt you. I want you to go somewhere. Abram's like, okay, tell me where. No. You just go. Just go. And when you go, when you have this kind of faith in me, this faith in me, I'm going to do some things. And one of those things 
is I'm going to give you many descendants and the whole world will be blessed through them. That's the Jewish people. That's the Hebrew people. And so the Pharisees, the Sadducees, they believe that because of their ancestry, because of their race, folks, it's just simply the race, the racial pride. They believe they had racial privilege. That's kind of a hip word right now, right? They're the originators of this idea. Because of my race, I have some special sort of power, some special connection. And God's saying, no. Now, this is not original with me. You've heard me say it before. God has many children. You can be a child of God, but he has no grandchildren. He has no grandchildren. You don't become a follower of Christ because your parents are. Sorry, doesn't work that way. We have to personally come to him and be called a child of God. But these Pharisees and Sadducees and all the Jewish people, many of them that is, not all of them, Jesus, John, Matthew, but many of them believed that because of their heritage, their, their nationality, their race, they were good to go. So God interrupted them. And finally, in verse number 10, now look at this. Even now, now think about who he's talking to. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, even now, he says, the axe is laid to the root of the trees and every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. What's he saying to them? I hate, you know, here's what he's saying. Turn or burn. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you either Come to God, desperate, needy, not in your righteous state, not in your well state, but you come sick, needing healed. You come, or otherwise you will never come to the Father. Now that's an interruption, folks. And that's what God does. Has he woken you up? As you sit here today, was there a, t- was there a moment or a time or, or some, some time in your life when you can say that Jesus came into my life and interrupted me and woke me up and allowed me to see grace and see Jesus? If not, turn to him. I find it striking, just, just briefly here, I just want to mention this. I find it strikely, striking the contrast in my, my mind's eye as I see these Sadducees, you know, and these Pharisees all decked out. You know, they got on beautiful robes and, and they got these, you know, things, these little frilly things hanging off of them and these headpieces and, and they come from their, with their full bellies that they, that they ate at, you know, at some widow's house at the, after the synagogue meeting and there they come. And there's John the Baptist. Dressed in camel hair, locusts, you know, crawling around in his beard, honey all stuck in there, all dirty, right? And if you and I were going to pick the messenger of God, we would choose the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Say, look at them. I mean, they're clean, they're nice, they're dressed good. Oh, be careful. Look for the messenger. How are we going to recognize his voice? 
Now, there have been some who have said, well, I guess what we should all do is we should all wear, I guess, something like camel's hair, okay? You got people, you know, they're always wearing beards because they look like Jesus. I don't know. But, but you know, you got, these, you, got, you got people that try to look maybe like John the Baptist. Well, that's wrong as well. It's wrong as well. Listen, there were Pharisees that came to Jesus. Nicodemus, remember him? There were, there were, there were, there were Pharisees that, that, knew, that found Jesus, that turned to him. Saul, remember him? Saul, by the way, never said I was a Pharisee. said, I am. Hmm, interesting. So be careful. How do we recognize the messenger? How do we, how do we identify? How do we know? How do you know that this is a message from God? That this is God interrupting me? How do we not get just pulled in to, you know, some flashy guy or gal up front that could tell a funny story or can talk with, you know, a lot of dramatic expression or use big words or, or cool outlines? How do we know? Well, let's look at John. Let's look at John. The first thing I want you to see is in verse number three. He was word of God dependent. Word of God dependent. Folks, you need to be careful of any messenger that is not finding all of his authority in the word of God. Here is the only authority that we have right now. This is it. Matthew says, this is the one Isaiah referred to in Isaiah chapter 40. This is him. And John the Baptist came with this, with this same kind of credential every time he spoke. This is the voice of one crying in the wilderness. The word of God is the one that brings any kind of credibility. People are peddling messages all over the place. But let it be rooted in the word of God. And that's not the only expression of word of God that John the Baptist got. Man, there's a really cool one at the end. Look here with me. Verse number, and we'll go to verse number 16. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and come to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The voice of God Wrong over the Jordan that day. I said, this is him. This is the son. This is the son of God. It's not the only time God did that. You turn over Matthew chapter 17 at the Mount of Transfiguration where, the same, where God says the same thing about Jesus. He says the same thing about him. The apostle Peter never got over this. You can turn to 2 Peter chapter 2 sometime. Write it down. Look at it. In 2 Peter chapter 2, at the very end, Peter remembers this moment. This one or the Mount of Transfiguration, probably, but this, this expression from God. And Peter speaks of the voice of God saying, this is him. Now, folks, I only know of three times in the New Testament, and if you can correct me, I'd like to be corrected, but I only know of three times where the very voice of God spoke in the New Testament said, listen, listen. We got this one, Matthew 17 and John chapter 12. That's it. So what do we learn from that? 
That ain't gonna happen to you, okay? That's not gonna happen to you. Those are exceptions. We don't draw conclusions from exceptions, right? So what's our hope? It's the word of God. Interpreted correctly in its context, shown how it fits with the rest of God's word, demonstrated to us how we can apply it and how we can respond. That's the first thing. That's how we recognize the message. Secondly is this. The interruption of God comes with a very important message. And it's a message of repent from sin and faith in Christ. Repent over sin and turn in faith to Christ. John the Baptist came preaching that. Jesus preached that. His disciples preached that. And I'm preaching that today. If you have not turned from your own self, your own righteousness, your own sin, and turned in faith to Christ, do it today. Do it today. It's the only hope that we have. It's the only hope that your neighbor has. It's the only hope that your schoolmate has, your teacher has, your coach has, your any person. Every person that you walk by at Walmart, the car you pass on the I-81, that's the only hope that anybody has. The person on the other side of the planet from last week, the, person, the surfer in Florida, wherever you are, the only message is Jesus. Salvation is found in no other name but Jesus Christ. There is no way unto the Father except by him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. The message of God, the interruption from God comes with that message. Repent and turn in faith. And lastly, just just briefly here, because I get to pick it up with it next week, is that God's work, God's message, his interruption It comes accompanied by the very work of God. That when when God's message is shared, it changes lives. It changes lives. Today, this very day, in this building, I heard two people talking to me about how Jesus changed their life. Briefly, in a few minutes, we're going to watch somebody clamp into that water. Some will be young, some will be old. And they're going to talk about how Jesus has changed their life. When John came, he brought a message that brought change. People came confessing their sins. The Pharisees themselves were, were intrigued. They came investigating But the masses came doing just what what John was saying in verse number 10. They came and their life changed and there was fruit. It was fruit. Verse 13, just to wrap up. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized him. And John would have prevented him. John said, I should be baptized by you. You come to me. It's interesting if you read in John chapter 1. Um, we won't take the time to do this, but if you read in John chapter 1, you see that John the Baptist, he wasn't sure who Jesus was until this moment. He knew 
John the Baptist, because he's a prophet, God let him know that you are going to meet the Messiah, okay? And this, this dove will come and will land on him, and that's the one. But John the Baptist didn't even know that at this point. But God does this work. God does this miracle and allows John the Baptist to know. Jesus comes and says, this has got to happen. This has got to happen. I want to identify, see, this is what baptism is. Baptism is identifying with a message. Jesus came to bring credibility and to identify with the message of John. Him being baptized is saying, John is legit. He's the real deal. He speaks from God. Have you heard his voice? Has the Spirit of God opened up your heart to him? Related to that, for those of you who know him, does he have permission to interrupt your life? Is your agenda so set, so firm, so wisely laid out by you that God can't interrupt anymore? See, repentance is not only for those outside of Christ. We may need to repent today. We may, we may, as followers of Jesus, need to say, all right, God, I am not my own. I've been bought with a price. Therefore, I will honor God with my body. Pray with me. Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for your work Lord, you have blessed us. You have worked in our lives. You have drawn us to yourself. Father, I pray that as we consider today what you offer us today, Lord, that our hearts would recognize your lordship, would recognize your love, would recognize how great you are. And that you alone are worthy to be called God. Thank you for your grace, Lord. Let it flow into us more and more and more so we can surrender more and more and more to your interruption. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.